What's going on, everybody? You're listening to episode 69 of Fearless Rebel Radio. If you're feeling out of control around food or you are a binge eater, then you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode where I chat with Lydia Wenty lifestyle coach and binge eating expert all about how to overcome these things with her unique approach to it. Before we get started, I have some really exciting and cool news. I have decided that I am going to be running a fall cycle of my Rock Your Body group program dedicated to helping you stop living behind the number on your scale. And I'm doing this because I just finished up the um, program that I ran in the spring with a amazing, amazing group of women. And the transformations that have come out of that group have just blown me away. And I thought, why wait nine more months to do this again? I just, I love the group aspect of it. And um, I mean, the cool part is, is that for these women, they'll get to repeat it again and basically get like a year of coaching with me, which is really, really cool. And uh, that is what is going to be available to you if you are interested in it. So you can go to Rock Your Body Now dot com and enter your name to be put on a waitlist to be the first to hear about um, the free training that's going to go live in September. And if you put your name on that waitlist, you're going to get invited to a really exclusive training with me, an additional training, as well as a bunch of VIP bonuses uh, for the three-month group program that will start towards the end of September. So I'm super pumped about that. So you can go to rockyourbodynow.com to get on the waitlist and get the free training when it goes live, as well as your invite to an exclusive training uh, and a bunch of really killer bonuses because I love to give stuff to people and I just want to help more women with this because I know how powerful it is. Once you set your mind to doing some body image work, I know how powerful it is and it's just so so cool to see women saying that their lives are different or they're, you know, finally doing all these things that they had never done before. So stay tuned for more details on that, but I just, I'm pumped. So I just wanted to give you the early notice and teaser around that. Okay, let's get started with today's show. Hey everyone, I'm really excited about today's guest. I have on the show today, Lydia Wenty, the lifestyle coach that has helped thousands of women gain freedom from food food shoes or food issues. <laughs> Using a combination of neuroscience and mindfulness principles, she teaches the non-therapy approach to overcoming any habit. After years of suffering from her personal struggle with binge eating and bulimia, she is completely free of her habit. Lydia now enables women around the world to get back their mental energy for the things they really care about. She is the author of How to Stop Binge Eating and Be Successful at Everything Else. She is a pioneer in the eating disorder comedy genre with her weekly video series, Meet Your Brains. Welcome to the show, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me on, Summer. I am stoked. 
I yes, and I, I definitely need to loop back around and ask you about this eating disorder comedy and your uh, <laughs> your approach to that and and the importance of humor. So we'll we'll come back around to that. But I want to start out by having you share your story because your your story is so powerful, and uh, I'm excited to to hear it from from you. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm excited to share my story. It's really interesting um, because for so long I thought my story was just my own story. Like I literally thought I was my own brand of crazy that I could hopefully just keep secret till the day that I died. <laughs> and as I share my story, I realize my story is so many women's stories. So I'm I'm all about that. Um, just a little bit of kind of where I got got started out. Um, my whole life, I couldn't really lose weight. Like it always sounded like a wonderful thing, but like, I didn't really think I could, like I'd make little changes here and there and nothing really happened. Um, and then after I had a baby and my abs didn't suck in within, you know, like the first six weeks and I have that, like, I didn't go to some supermodel body right after having a baby. Um, I got freaked out. Um, and I was like, well, I've got to lose weight. I've got to do something more extreme, more intense. Um, and I, I uh, started kind of, you know, a, a program and like really got into the weight loss thing and I lost weight and it was so much fun. It was thrilling and empowering and I was so hooked. Like it was just amazing. Um, and I got good at it and I got excited about it. And then I launched a business and made a career out of it. Like I was a weight loss coach for many years. Um, I helped my family lose 600 pounds together. All of my friends were shrinking. Like it's so funny because I thought it was so awesome back at the time. Um, you know, like when I was there, but now I'm like, oh my gosh, I was like this little monster, like making everyone around me lose weight. Like I had this secret anger toward anyone who wasn't skinny because I'm like, why on earth would you be overweight when you could be thin, thin, thin? Um, so it was really interesting, kind of the mental space that I was in back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I can just, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. By the way, I just, I just need to add that in there that the everything that you're sort of talking about, being hooked on it, and then wanting everybody else to do it and making a career out of it. It sounds, it's, it's such a parallel to my own experience with it. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, but keep going. Yeah. And well, and it, we get so rewarded in our society for it. You know, it's like thin women, you know, I was talking the other day, it's like really the only prejudice that is just explicitly accepted in our society is, you know, fat phobia, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, if you're overweight, of course we can hate that, you know, like, so it's so interesting how rewarded, not only internally for weight loss, but like by all of society, it's like, oh, look, the smaller you get, the prettier you are, the more important you are, the more powerful you are, you know, it's like, there's just so much like layers of um, praise around that. So all of that was kind of, you know, working together. And I really thought like, you know, this being my career, I was like, well, okay, you know, it's, it's got to be more like I've got to have progress. You know, it's like, it's not just enough to have after pictures of being thinner. Now I've got to be fitter. Now I've got to be leaner. Now I've got to be more tanned. Now I've got, you know, it's like all of these things. And I just got obsessed with this perfection. I was, you know, I literally for years counted every 
almond and tracked things on apps and I had spreadsheets and I would go and get blood tests to show like, you know, everything. I was just like, what is, you know, I would research what is the very lowest body fat percentage where you like don't die. And then I would like shoot for that. Like, yeah, I was all out and something really interesting started happening. So obviously this is my identity. Like, this is really what I care about. You know, I would label it back then as health, um, but it's really what I cared about. And then something really strange started happening. Um, Every once in a while, I would start eating my extremely measured, completely clean, low-carb, whatever food, and I would just feel possessed, like absolutely out-of-control possessed, And I would just keep eating and eating and eating. And I literally thought I could not stop. Like I was completely out of control and I would just eat and eat and eat until the point of pain. Like the only thing that would stop me was like the physical pain of not being able to eat anymore. Sometimes I would even just lay on the couch until I would digest a little bit and then eat even more. Like I just felt so driven. Mm -hmm. And then I would kind of come out of this fog and feel absolutely terrible because it was so confusing. This was so against my identity. You know, it's like if, if, if my weight loss is my religion, this was the worst sin, right? To eat so much. So true. Yeah. And so, okay, well now I've got to not only do what I've been doing, but make up for it. So it was okay. So now I'm going to eat less. I'm going to work out harder. Um, and then it would happen again. And I had no idea how to stop it. So this cycle started going you know, I tried to keep it secret from people. I tried to do it when people weren't looking. Sometimes I would binge in front of people, like at parties, because I was so out of control. And I would like try to like make it not noticeable. Like it was just ruining my life, like absolutely ruining my life. Like we would go on trips together. Um, you know, I was making really great money as this weight loss coach, right? So we would go on these exotic trips and I would just you know, binge the whole time and just feel miserable. So I had no idea what to do. And I literally thought, Summer, like, it's just my own brand of crazy. Like, there's something wrong with me. Like, okay, well, maybe this is my true nature. You know, maybe I'm trying to be this healthy person, but I'm really just this crazy gluttonous person. Like, I had no idea what was was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So I decided to do a little bit of research and I realized like, oh, because I, I didn't identify it with bulimia because I wasn't, I mean, I define it as bulimia now because I was doing compensating behaviors for my eating. But back then, like I didn't throw up. I tried. I could never throw up at the time. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, I'm not bulimic. I'm obviously not anorexic. I'm eating all this food. Right. I didn't label for myself. Right. Um, but then doing some research, I kind of decided that I was a food addict. Like, oh, I act like an addict, mm, right? Like, yes. This is what people do when they're addicted to heroin. So I started looking into food addiction, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, now I'm a food addict. And it was like, I didn't want to be a heroin addict, so I never did heroin. And I was really pissed off that, like, I got addicted to something that I didn't mean to, you know? Um And this idea of just having to manage the rest of my life as an addict, you know, once an addict, always an addict, like 
having to navigate, you know, have long lists of food triggers, you know, have a plan every day, keep myself out of danger situations. Like I didn't even know how I had wrecked my life and I was confused and it just became this like full-time job on top of my full-time job, you know, to like try to manage all this. So I read um, a book actually by Brene Brown, who I really like, um, called The Gifts of Imperfection. And she talked about, you know, just having authenticity in your life. And I realized, I mean, Summer, I was not authentic. I was really living this double life. Mm-hmm. And um, I, was, I was hosting kind of a health call that, you know, hundreds of people would tune into every week and, um, you know, where I'd give my health tips or whatever. And I decided to kind of come out of the closet. Um, it was around Christmas time and... I just laid down on the table. I'm like, hey, just so you know, um, I just feel like I need to be authentic here. And I'm a food addict and this is what's happening. And I you know, don't have an answer, but I just wanted to be authentic. And I literally thought that I would lose everything. Like all my clients are going to go away. You know, I've created career suicide for myself, but it became more important to me to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And what actually happened was completely unexpected. Like, I kind of crawled up into a hole, right? I'm like, all right, goodbye, my whole life. Right. Um, And I started getting, like, messages and texts and emails and all of these things about people that were going through the exact same thing. Like, it was literally, like, this big facade. Like, all of these people I was helping lose weight were binge eating as well. (laughs) But they were just afraid to tell me because I was this perfect example, right? Yes. And everyone, it was like this big wave of everyone getting authentic together. And it was crazy. I I made, like, a Facebook group to try to just, like, get everyone together because I had no idea what to do. In one week, a thousand people joined this Facebook group. Wow. and we were just like, what's going on here? Um, and, you know, I, I disbanded that after a while. Like, I didn't have any answers, but I, I knew that I wasn't alone, which was, which was a big step. So I was authentic, right? I was being authentic. I knew I wasn't alone. And then I, I found a book called Brain Over Binge by Katherine Hansen. Um, and that, that was a life-changing book for me. Um, it was the first time that I was... Um, able to view my ha- my uh, addiction as just a habit. Like it wasn't this big, scary thing that I didn't have control over. Um, I had researched, you know, mindfulness a lot in my life. And that's something that was important to me, you know, just about, you know, just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. You know, we, we buy into our thoughts and feelings, but we can also just observe them. Like these are things that had helped me so much in my day-to-day life. But it was when I ran into the principles in the Brain Over Binge book that I realized, like, oh, it's the same thing? Like, these compulsions to binge eat, this addiction that I feel, is actually just a habit and something that, you know, is like, you know, something from your brain telling you that you have to do something, but you don't actually have to do it. And once I had this realization and some tools to help me, I was done. And I never, I, since then, I have never um, binged eaten again. And once you stop binge eating, then you're over bulimia because there's like nothing to make up for. Um, And 
it completely changed my life. So I made a huge uh, career shift. Um, and what I do now is I help other women. Like I feel like I owe it to the world for every woman to know that you can use your own brain. Um, you don't have to be beholden to a, a label of addiction. Um, that it's something that like you have power over. I just, you know, with the women that I coach, something that I hear repeatedly is, why did no one tell me about this sooner? So really my mission is just for everyone to know about it. So yeah, that's my story, Summer. Yeah, so I want to talk about this, you know, your your binges and stuff because, you know, you talk about not being able to stop and you talk about being possessed, um, you know, and, and yes, I, like I personally think that, you know, being conscious of your thoughts is part of that, but there's also the fact that we can't override our biological instincts and that when we are restricting or when our weight is below a certain set point that's healthy for us, our body tries to compensate to fight back. And so, you know, how did you manage that piece of it as well as the, the mindfulness? Like, did you, did you stop restricting? Was that, was that part of your recovery as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm so glad you came back around to that. Um, because I didn't know why I started eating this way. Um, and looking back now, I realize, like you said, you know, your body does a really good job of taking care of you. So if you're starving yourself, it's going to, you know, push the override button and do whatever it can to get you to eat again. So, you know, with the, the women that I coach, a lot of times a huge piece of getting back on track is just eating enough. Like, amazing things happen with your brain when you give yourself enough food. Um, not only like physically feeding yourself, but just like the mental deprivation, getting rid of that can make a huge difference. So I know at the time, like, I feel like recovery is a lot quicker if you, one, know how to kind of, you know, mindfully dismiss these compulsions to binge, um, and then two, eat adequately. For me at the time, I was still so scared of eating enough. I didn't, um, I didn't eat quite so little as I did. Like I wasn't so extreme, mostly because it wasn't working anymore. Like my body had rebelled, so I couldn't really lose weight anymore, um, you know, at that time. Um, but yes, yeah, so first I just got over my habit. So this habit of binge eating, I got over it. And then the next piece of that was realizing that I needed to eat adequately. And instead of having to spend so much energy on dismissing these compulsions to binge, um, when I started eating adequately, the compulsions to binge started dissipating. And it's seriously like this magic thing um, that it's in incredible just like to not have to spend so much mental energy. So I really feel like those things go hand in hand. So um, I... It's interesting because I have clients who they start eating adequately, but they're still in the habit of binging. Mm -hmm. So sometimes just getting out of that habit is that final piece. And then I have some clients that eating adequately kind of gets them out of the habit because they don't have those compulsions. Like, so I, I see both sides of it. But for me, I got over my habit and then I stopped restricting. If I could go back, I would have just stopped restricting um, and then just seen kind of what my body did from there. But does that answer that question? Yeah, totally. No, I, and I because I think that um, just in my observation of of this, without without any judgment, obviously, is that it's like 
you almost did it kind of backwards, which I think a lot of people do because they seek out mindfulness or intuitive eating as just their last ditch effort to gain control, to stop the binging behavior. Whereas, and then ultimately kind of coming to this realization that there's a huge physical component to this as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, my, my experience was probably similar in a way that it was just, it was based on fear. Like I was, I was so afraid of adding in these, you know, fear foods back in or eating more than I had deemed okay for me that, uh, I also worked on more of the mindfulness piece first and then found the most success by just eating like a grown ass woman and giving myself the full, yeah. <laughs> full permission. It's like, oh, wow. When I actually allow myself to have sugar when I want it or cake when I want it, it's not a big deal anymore. And it really loses its interest. Or if I'm actually eating the amount of uh, calories that I, I need, or just, you know, actually obeying my hunger instead of thinking my hunger is something to suppress. So, um, yeah, no, I was just curious about that, that piece of it. And in particular, you know, when you work with clients, um, do you, you know, are you, are you looking at that physical piece, which, which you said you do? Absolutely. Like that, that piece is so important. If I did have a time machine, I would just go back and tell myself to eat like a grown ass woman, as you said, you know, it's like, <laughs> that'll really help. You know, any of my clients that are struggling with these principles, I'm like, are you eating enough? Like restriction is something that is, you know, if you get rid of that, a host of issues, you know, get fixed. So mm-hmm. it's a, a beautiful thing. And I think those things are really, you know, both very important. Yeah. And it sounds to me, you know, I want to talk about this food addict thing because that's such a, that's such a hot topic, I guess. <laughs> I just feel yeah. weird saying hot topic. I feel, I feel like I'm on the view. Our hot topic today is food addiction. No. Um, so as you know, people identify themselves as a food addict, that's what you did. And I, I also perceive this as being an answer for some way to gain control or, you know, just, just kind of having this identity of like, okay, there is something wrong with me. I mean, what are your thoughts on food addiction now? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, so some of the neuroscience, you know, principles that, that I teach in my videos and to my clients, um, it's just that you, you have kind of some competing interests in your brain and you have kind of this, this lower brain, I call it the chatter brain in my videos. Um, but it's that part of your brain is really about survival and it's also about habits. So it's interesting because this part of your brain is just trying to help you survive, but sometimes it can just get kind of confused. So my, my feeling is that you can really get addicted to anything. And then that lower part of your brain starts thinking that you need it for survival. So like anything, you know, people say, oh, well, I'm a stress eater because, you know, or, or an emotional eater. A lot of times things start like that, right? It's like, oh, I'm sad and I was sad and then I had a piece of cake. And then this part of your brain is like, oh, that's a thing that makes us feel better. And then it likes to get into a habit of like, oh, well, you know, seeking pleasure, avoiding pain. So next time you're sad, your brain sends you a little reminder of like, oh, remember, you ate the cake to feel better. And, you know, whatever fires together, wires together in our brain. So when we connect those things, it it creates like, you know, connections with our synapses so that it's just a natural thing. So now that every time we're emotional, we just automatically want that cake. And then since it's a habit, 
that's been reinforced, then our brain keeps going back to that thing. Um, so no matter how it starts, like, you know, compulsive eating can start for a lot of different reasons. We can get addicted to lots of different things. Um, but a lot of times it's associated like, oh, when I'm sad, I, you know, opened up the computer and I was online shopping and then I bought something. And then people think, you know, they're addicted to shopping. Um, from my point of view, it's really just whatever you did to feel better. Sometimes it gets into a habit and then it gets into a habit loop in your brain. Um, and you can break down that habit as quickly as you build it up. I feel like when you add the word addict to anything, it really um, takes away that personal power that we have because a lot of times people are just like, well, I have to do this thing because I'm an addict, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, th- those are my thoughts, kind of how, how that starts. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I think that identity of a food addict is, is, does a, a major disservice because it you know, makes you feel like you are a victim. And what I see more often than not is dieting addiction. And in particular, when you talk about habits and you talk about um, you know, ways that we become wired t- in, in terms of a certain habit, I think dieting is often one of those habits. And it's, there may be like an emotional cue to, uh, to a binge or to um, eating to a point of physical discomfort with food. But I think then the habitual response is often then restriction. And so it's in my perspective, it's not only about looking at, you know, the what's going on emotionally and other ways that we can look at, you know, creating um, emotional support in your life, but really breaking the habitual response of dieting and restriction. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, everything starts with thoughts. So essentially whatever we feel like we're addicted to or whatever habits we have, they start as a habit of thought. So, you know, we have these habits of thought to eat, you know, to eat or overeat or binge. And then we have just as, you know, prevalent habits of thought to restrict. Your mind is just trying to do what it's done before. Cause look, you've been binging and restricting and you're still alive. So your mind will kind of like say, Oh, well that's how we've stayed alive. Let's not rock the boat. Let's do what we've done before. So even looking at, you know, both ends of that as a habit of thought that you can just break, I feel is very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so why are so many therapeutic approaches and approaches like Overeaters Anonymous unsuccessful? Or, or do you think they're successful, I guess, is the other part of that question. Oh, no. So that's a really, really good question. I definitely, I mean, there are a lot of people who have been helped with programs like that. And there are a lot of people who have been helped, you know, with therapy, those sorts of things. Um, a really common thing that I see with um, the clients that I coach is, I was talking to a woman the other day. She was in 10 years, 10 years straight of therapy for her bulimia. And a lot of times a therapeutic approach is to attach, you know, our food addiction or what our eating disorder to we're making up for something in our lives, right? Like, oh, well, you're eating because of the way that your relationships are going. So instead of just working on the issue, which is like I'm eating massive amounts of food, therapy a lot of times tries to work on the things that it it's connected to. And I'm doing that in quotes, um, you know, the things that it's, you know, they think that, you know, with this approach, it's connected to. So like with this woman that I was coaching, I mean, over these 10 years, you know, she, she's like, Leah, I've fixed all my relationships and then my eating disorder didn't go away. So then, you know, in therapy, they told me, well, you're really having an eating disorder because of stress in your life. 
and she's like she you know quit her job like she like got rid of all the stress in her life and she's still compulsively eating so therapy is a wonderful thing as in like it fixed her relationships and it got rid of stress in her life but sometimes it's trying to cure problems that aren't connected to the thing that you actually went to therapy for does that make sense yeah absolutely for sure yeah so I kind of think of therapy like um, there are some people, of course, that have success with it. Like I say, if it's working for you, you know, if over is anonymous, like if it's working for you, go for it. I coach the people that it's not working for. Like, oh, I went to therapy and I'm still compulsive eating. Maybe there's something else I should look at. I think of it kind of like cleaning up spilled milk with a rock. You can do it. Like you can like take the rock and you can like push around the milk and like, you know, you can do it that way, but it might not be the best tool, but it might be okay. You know, like maybe you just wanted the milk off the table or whatever. I mean, there are people who kind of live with an eating disorder and are kind of like constantly managing it, but they feel good about that and that's okay. Really what I go for is just freedom from it. Like you're quitting a habit, you're changing your brain. You're not just kind of managing this identity that you've accepted for the rest of your life. Yeah, and I think that there are there's not one right approach because, as you said, some people do find other you know whether it's therapy or OA um, that it does work for them, which is great. And so I think it is about finding the thing that works for you and being okay if something doesn't. Um, but I think, uh, you know, on top of that, we, we can't, we can't argue with biology either. You know, there's just, yeah. <laughs> when you're, if it, if it's coming down to you fighting against your biological instincts, it's like, well, that's just not, there's no way that you can, that you can change your biology. But, um, I would love you to talk about your concept of the two brains. Like you mentioned the chatter brain, which, you know, when I was reading through your stuff seems very similar to, you know, what I would call your doppelganger or what, you know, people call your, your inner critic or your saboteur. And, um, I'd love you to elaborate more on, on that and how you incorporate that into helping women. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. Um, so it's interesting. I feel like maybe I'll write a book someday called, hi, you don't know me, but I'm your brain. Like, a lot of times we don't realize what's going on in our own heads. Like one thing that was so confusing for me is like, why am I compulsive eating? You know, why am I having this, you know, thing that I do if it's so against what I actually want to do? So it's very confusing when we don't realize that we literally have different brains. Like we have different competing things going on. So just to kind of outline, you know, and there are lots of different names for it, right? It's like, um, I think I actually have a video where I name all the different things that people call it, but what kind of makes sense and, you know, how, how I illustrate it is you have like this lower part of your brain, right? Um, it's like the, the amygdala, the emotional center, kind of the lizard brain is what some people will call it. Um, but I call it the chatter brain. Um, and it's this part of your brain that's more of a an old, older primal part that has very clear um, jobs that it does. You know, it's to help you with your survival. That's what it's all about. So this is the part of your brain that like, you know, in the caveman days when it came across a bunch of berries, you know, it would say, eat the entire bush of berries till you're sick because you don't know when you're next meal is coming from. And we still have those kind of um, 
desires from that part of our brain, but our world is different and we have like a hundred percent chance of getting food pretty much wherever we go. So, um, this survival part of your brain, um, it's, you know, avoid pleasure or, I mean, you know, seek pleasure, avoid pain. It's about habit formation, um, keeping you going what you've done before and it does its job really well, but there's no sort of like moral, uh, you know, part of it, it, it just does its job. You know, it's kind of like this little robot that will just try to keep you doing the things that you've done in the past because it thinks that that will help you survive. Um, so the interesting part about this section of your brain is it has a whole lot to say, um, but it can't actually make you do anything. And it won't talk that way. It'll say you have to eat more or you have to whatever. Um, but understanding that this part of your brain isn't in charge of your your motor complexes. So it can't make you get up. It can't make you open the cupboard. It can't make you um, say anything. That's the other part of your brain. So we've got the chatter brain, right? And then we've got what I call the you brain. And that's the prefrontal cortex. So if you put your hand on your forehead, um, it's it's the brain there. And these are where our our morals, our desires come from. Like, this is the one that says, you know, I want to be a healthy, happy person. This is the one that, you know, works toward goals. It's the one that feels more like us. And it's also the one that is in charge of movement and speech. So, you know, it has to, you know, give a thumbs up to the chatter brain with whatever it it does. And that's why it can be confusing when your you brain starts believing your chatter brain, essentially. So knowing that those things are separate um, and when you get messages like to, you know, binge eat or whatever it is from your chatter brain, knowing that you have complete veto power of your higher brain, your you brain, um, that you're the one who decides you know, what to do. Um, and there are certain things that I call like neuro hacks to kind of help wake up your you brain, um, to remind yourself of that. But, you know, we kind of have these two different sections that we're operating from and understanding, um, that we have messages from, from both places and being able to identify those can be extremely helpful for lots of places, areas in life. Um, but, you know, especially with eating disorders, it's amazing. So, yeah, that's really cool. And so how do you respond to your chatter brain? Like, what do you, what do you suggest? How do, how do we use that? Like, if you were to kind of give advice to the people listening and say, you know, here are some ways that you can work to manage it, how would you do that? Yeah, good, good question. So um, I, I have a video called The Three Steps to Stop Binge Eating um, on in my video series if you want more detail, but I'll just kind of quickly go over. This can be an extremely useful practice um, when you kind of have these things come up. So a lot of times inside our own head, we don't really know where these messages are coming from. Like we all have this internal dialogue that's just happening all the time, right? Um, and so step number one is to say it. So when we think of thoughts inside our mind, we're not really sure where they're coming from, but it's kind of this narrow hack. It's kind of a little trick to say the things that we're thinking out loud. Because like I was saying before, your you brain is in charge of speech. So it's kind of a way to like wake up that higher part of your brain. So for instance, you know, if you're alone at your house, um, you might have kind of this thought and you say it out loud, like, well, uh, I feel like now that I'm at home, I should just start looking through the cupboards, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
you're just saying whatever's you know in your mind, but you're saying it out loud. And that's a really powerful thing. So step number one is say it out loud. Step number two is to separate it. So to really give ownership to whatever these statements are to that chatter brain. So a lot of times I'll teach my clients to say something like, the chatter is saying, now that I'm alone, I should start looking through the cupboards. So you're acknowledging that like, oh, this is just the chatter in my mind. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's true, doesn't, you know, there's no judgment about it. You're literally just throwing it out there. Yeah, it's like create, it's just creating that separation so you can actually have a conversation instead of just uh, being possessed by it or thinking that it's, that's, that's just you and those are your, those are your actual beliefs. Exactly. And it definitely feels that way. Like all of our thoughts feel like us inside our brains. So getting it out in front of us is a really useful thing. Um, not just as a practice, but literally like, like neurologically, this is a, we're looking at it from a different perspective. So then the third step is to stare at it. And what I mean by stare at it is just kind of look at it for a minute, like think about it. A really good question at this point is like, oh, isn't that interesting, right? Um, Because the things that we think in our own brains make sense. And then when we say them out loud and we separate them, a really common reaction of my clients when they try this for the first time is they just start laughing. Like, it's just like so funny. Like, wait, so the chatter is saying that because I'm sad, I should eat this whole loaf of bread until my stomach hurts. Like it's, they just seem so ridiculous. Like the, the statements that the chatter brain is saying seem so ridiculous. But when you feel the compulsion inside your own mind, a lot of times we just kind of buy into it and we go on autopilot and we open the cupboard and we get out the bread and we eat piece after piece. So it's just kind of like waking up. It's like you're, you're putting the message from the chatter brain out in front of the you brain. And when the you brain sees it, it just busts up laughing. And it tends to just totally kind of defuse these compulsions because we're looking at it from a different part of our brain. And then our brain can just like laugh and be like, oh, well, no, like that's not really going to help. Um, but we don't think those things when it's kind of circulating in our own minds. And then once we start this habit of, you know, I call it this process calling out the chatter, right? So you're just calling it out. You're getting it out in front of you. Um, after a while of doing that, then you're acting on your, your habit less. And then when you stop acting on a habit, it just goes away on its own. You don't have to do anything. You just, whatever in your life you stop doing, you stop wanting to do and you stop thinking to do. Um, and then it just goes back to life as usual. It's a, it's a really fun kind of process. But it takes that first little step of like, okay, let's get it out in front of us. So yeah, hopefully that's that's helpful. Um, it's been a really great tool and something really simple you can do at any time. So yeah, and that's kind of what I do with self doubt and negative thoughts about yourself and your body is creating that separation. And um, you know, there's there's different ways that you can manage it, whether it's compassionately responding to it or seeing the ridiculousness of it too. Like you said, saying it out loud. Um, of course, being mindful that you're not just ruminating on a particular thought, (laughs) but for, for me, sometimes I can see the ridiculousness of it. If I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Oh, you shouldn't do that because people aren't going to like you summer. You know, if I can, if I can say that out loud, then I can see the ridiculousness of it and then I can change my actions as a result. So, um, 
I, you know, I, I use a very similar application when I work with women on body image. So yeah, it's just interesting to hear, hear how that can be useful in pretty much every area of your life. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and you know, when you talked about, you know, ruminating on a thought, it's interesting because sometimes we're afraid to say these things out loud, like to admit it to ourselves. that's in our mind, but think of how many times something circles in your own brain, just on its own, you know, you're over it over and over again. And when you can just kind of get it out there and yeah, absolutely. In fact, like, um, you've, you've made a huge difference for me. So i just your podcast. And when I started getting into body image stuff and, um, realized that was actually a thing out there. Um, it's definitely a tool that I use to just help my own habits of thought around my body. You know, I would say things like the chatter is saying that because you look like, oh, I'm trying to think of like, okay. So the chatter is saying that because you've gained five pounds, when you walk into this room of people, they're all going to like notice right away and like gasp, you know, it's like this image is going over and over in your mind. And then you get it out there and you're like, that's ridiculous. And then all of a sudden this feeling of dread of being around these people or whatever, like melts away. So yeah, absolutely. Like it's one of these things that we have these sort of compulsive thoughts, but if we can just get them out in front of us, then we have the power to change them. Yeah. And I think you refer to it as stories as well. They're just stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. It's just, it doesn't mean that it's true. It's just when you say it over and over, your mind kind of gets into a loop. So, And how important was improving body image for you? It was a huge, huge step for me. So um, I got out of the cycle of binge eating. Um, and I hated my body, <laughs> but I didn't want to go back to dieting, um, and start that cycle again. I was really grateful to be done with this compulsive eating, but I mean, I didn't know what to do. Like I would just sit there and just feel the fat on my body and just cry. Like I was just so sad. Um, cause it was such a big deal to me. So I was like, okay, I can either change this body and spend the rest of my life trying to manipulate my shape. And I'm not like, like I'm more of an earthy curvy sort of girl. Like I'm not very naturally lean and thin. Um, so, you know, one option was to try to, you know, manipulate that. Or the other option was to try to feel a little better about the body that I was in. Um, and Summer, I just want to thank you so much. Like you are one of the first voices that I heard in the body positivity community. Um, and I would just go for walks around the neighborhood and listen to your podcast. And it was like, like the layers were melting away of like, you know, just little by little for me about, you know, the disgust that I felt about my body. Um, you know, I would practice, you know, these principles of changing my habits of thought and, you know, it's been a slow going journey, but it is amazing to me. Um, how much better I can feel in my body and body image is something that is so important for the clients that I coach as well. I send lots of people your way to, you know, read your book, those sorts of things, because when we get, when we feel so bad about our bodies and we want to manipulate and change them, um, the natural thing to do is to be driven towards some way to manipulate our bodies, like going on a diet or whatever. And then once we go into deprivation and restriction, then a lot of times, you know, our body fights back and it goes back into these compulsive eating things. And if we can just be okay, like I remember the day that I decided that I am going to just live my life 
the healthiest way that I can, and I'm going to let my body show up however it shows up. And whatever that body is, I'm just going to work on loving it. I'm not going to try to force anything anymore. And that's been one of the most wonderful things in my life. So thank you. Wow. Thank you. That's really awesome. I'm honored uh, that I had such an impact on you. That's really cool. So I appreciate you telling me that. And, uh, and I'm glad, I'm so glad it was helpful for you and that you're able to then use that, use that in your work as well. So one thing I want to circle back to is I'm so curious because you mentioned how you helped your family lose, I think you said 600 pounds. How, how, how did you then circle back around with them and say, you know what, I've got a different approach now, you know, the things I believed before weren't true. How's that played out for you? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the most beautiful things in life is being able to admit that you were wrong. <laughs> so I guess I just kind of spend my life trying to, you know, continue to be authentic. And with my family and my clients, I mean, I mean, this was like thousands of people that I started out coaching in a very like, let's get all the pounds off forever of a sort of way. Um, and I've really, you know, it's a it's a big ship to turn, right? It's like, um, so I try to be authentic and I try to preach what I preach now, but we're fighting against a big thing. We're fighting against an entire world who puts such a value on, on thinness, um, at whatever cost that, you know, it's, it's a big thing. So I think just showing up authentically, I mean, everyone, knows now, like, you know, it's like, you know, being proud of, you know, the size that I am, you know, having integrity to, you know, keep living, you know, my life in a way that reflects the things that I teach. Like, um, I think it's just a daily process of trying to be authentic in that way. Um, and you know, I, I'm grateful that people in my life have been gracious. Um, and one, you know, be willing to kind of listen to this new radical message of like, not having to like count tomatoes for the rest of our life. Um, and then, you know, just being willing to evolve along with me and um, those who kind of knew that I was crazy to forgive me and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's great. Oh, I'm so happy. That's uh, that that's good. Cause it's, it's hard, right? I, I totally, I went through something very similar and it's, it's hard to just admit that you, you had a, you had a problem and that you were, spewing things that you came to realize were, were not true. Um, and I think that that, you know, it takes, it takes, it takes courage to be able to do that. But I think that it's so freeing to just be stand firm in your, in your beliefs and your, and your values. But I mean, what you don't know, what you don't know before, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so, um, yeah, I think that it's, uh, it was, it's awesome that you've, that you came to that realization and now you help women in, in a whole other way. It's, it's a much better way to live. Absolutely. I just, um, I just got back from a trip to Italy that I'd wanted to go on my whole life and never had, cause I just knew that I would have ruined it with my eating disorder and just eaten the whole time and binged. And no, I mean, I certainly ate the whole time, but you know, not compulsively eaten. Um, and it's just, it's, so nice to live in a brain because that's 
where we all come from. We're all living out of our own brains. And to live in a brain that's just at peace, that's just not warring, that's not hating itself, like, it really is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and I just, I want that for everyone who wants it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's ultimately what we want, is that just that peace in, in our brain, you know? It's, uh, that's, that's, that's what we get to with, with this kind of work, is, is a sense of peace. You know, you're not always going to feel happy or amazing, but just a sense of peace and not having the burden of hating yourself or um, feeling like you are just... Uh, like that there's something really wrong with you and that you need to fix it by fixing your food and um, trying to control that. Yeah. Amen, sister. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, one, one quick question before we wrap this up, because you referred to in the beginning, you said eating disorder comedy genre. How has comedy helped you with, with this? Oh, that's so okay, so I'm just kind of a nerd, and I started making my videos. I kind of said that tongue in cheek because I think I'm, I say it's a, I'm a pioneer, but I think I'm the only one that has videos in the eating disorder comedy genre. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just I'm a nerd, and this is the way that I think of things. Like when I think about the chatter brain versus the you brain, and kind of you know the videos that I make. I didn't set out to make them funny; they just kind of were my own nerdy style. But it has been so interesting to hear woman after woman say thank you for bringing some lightness to this. Like I have just had women say, you know, I watched your videos, and it's the first time in my life I've ever laughed at my eating disorder and it was the first step to healing for me just to be able to not have it be such a heavy scary thing but like isn't that crazy that thing that we do okay now here's how to fix it i feel like really comedy can can diffuse a whole lot of things and it, it also helps us you know since i'm a neurohack junkie um you know it also helps us to operate from in different parts of our brain Um, you know, from a different perspective, neurologically, when we're able to look at something in kind of like a funny, silly way, as opposed to like a, you know, very, you know, sad, heavy way. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I I love it. I love it. I, one of my favorite things is seeing the ridiculousness of situations and especially uh, in my work as it relates to body image, it's like, who, who's, who said we have to do that? And, and, you know, like, why would I, what, you know, where did, who said that we have to have smaller waists and that our, our abs need to show or that we need to be thinner, you know, like there's just so much ridiculousness of diet culture and the beauty industry. And yes, it's serious. And, and, um, you know, the, the prejudice against fat people, uh, is, is a serious issue, but in terms of being able to, um, like you said, adopt a different perspective for your own, uh, recovery, or I put recovery in quotes cause not everyone refers to it that way, yeah. I think is, is extremely, extremely helpful. And so I, I obviously try, uh, <laughs> some people think I'm funny and some people probably don't, but <laughs> I think the most important thing I think is I'm if hilarious. you think you're funny, you know, know what I mean? Like, what I, just said. <laughs> I fear as long as I can make myself laugh, then I don't really, I mean, you're always going to have people who agree and disagree, but if you're having fun, then, you know, that's yes. a good place to be. Laughter and, and I think, fun. I think your yes. stuff is great. And I know that you use that humor as well. <laughs> Thank you. 
laughter and fun is one of the things I value most. So I have to incorporate it into my business. Otherwise I would just go crazy. So, (laughs) and I think that it's such, it's so needed in this, in this sort of like quote unquote self-help genre because it can be so heavy and, you know, like woo woo and, uh, spiritual and, uh, yeah, I just, I like to just shake that up a bit. (laughs) Yeah, let's just shake it up and have a good time. Um, I think that for anyone listening who kind of, and I know that, I mean, my eating disorder brought a lot of sadness to my life. I don't want to make light of it, but I think it is fun to, to, you know, see it from like a funny perspective. But just for anyone listening, like if if the idea of like laughing at what's happening um, doesn't resonate with you or makes you feel like that's not right, um, sometimes a good way to spin it is just absurdity. Like this is absurd. And absurdity is kind of like a a nice little, you know, runway to, you know, that you can laugh at it. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like you can do that with anything in life. Like what? He left me on my birthday. This is absurd. You know what I mean? Yes. It's not funny, but it's like, what? This is, this is so crazy. And kind of looking at it from that, as opposed to just like melting in sorrow, because you are so much more likely to take action from like a, you know, laugh it off place than from a, okay, well, let's just crawl under the bed place. Well said. So good. Well, as we wrap things up here, the last question that I want to know from you is what is the most fearless thing that you have done? Oh, good question. Um, that was like kind of coming out about my, my eating disorder. Um, that was a brave move in a time in my life where I hadn't done a whole lot of super brave things. Like it's funny how the floodgates opened and I kind of did a whole bunch of other stuff like that. (laughs) It's like, well, if I'm going to be authentic, let's go all the way. Um, but that was kind of the first thing. And I think the first time is the scariest. So I would just say deciding to be authentic that first time was probably, probably it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people find more of you? I know you have a free video training. So talk to us a little bit about that and where people can find it. Yes. So I'm very excited about this. Um, This is our our second round and the first round was just so much fun. So I have a four-part free training. Uh, It's called Beat the Binge. Um, And it's just a fun four-part video series that'll come right to your inbox. It's absolutely free. Um, And if they go to www.lydiawenty.com, they'll be able to register for that. And then I have a weekly video series at lydiavideo.com. Every Monday I release another video um, just explaining a little bit more and I hope a fun way um, about how these principles work. Um, and then, of course, um, at, at lydiawenty.com, they can also get my free ebook, um, which uh, has 14 interactive videos. So all of those resources um, I just feel like everyone in the world should know about this. So those are the ways right now that we're getting out the the message. Cool. Awesome. So I will link to all of those in the show notes, which people will be able to find at summerinandin.com forward slash FRR dash six nine, because this is episode 69, which I'm going to try and say without laughing because I'm immature. <laughs> <I'll> laugh. <laughs> like, oh, wait. 
<laughs> and I'm also going to link in the show notes uh, the two books that you mentioned, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, and uh, as well as Brain Over Binge. So again, you've got your free videos, free ebook, your weekly video series. And um, I was also, you also uh, had me on, we did a video interview together. So um, I can link to that one in the show notes as well. So again, summerinandin.com forward slash FRR dash 69 and, or just go to lydiawenti.com. Thank you so much for being here, Lydia. It was awesome chatting with you. Thank you for having me on summer. Talk to you soon. Rock on. If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes to leave me a review. It will take two seconds and I would be super grateful. Click on reviews and ratings and then click to rate. Easy peasy. You can do it on your phone right now, just while you're driving even. Just kidding. And don't forget to head to summerinandin.com or thebodyimagecoach.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rocking your bod plus the 10 day body confidence makeover plus your exclusive invite to my free online community all for free, 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 free. Cool. All right. Until next time, rock on. (laughs) 